Father, I present myself to you today to carry out these good works which you prepared beforehand that I and these that are here should walk in them. Lord Jesus, I pray that your name would be lifted up, that you would be glorified. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would do what you are so amazing at doing, which is to anoint this message, to give it power and meaning in the lives of the people here. You know each one of them and what they need. I pray that you would speak through me, that you would use me to touch and move powerfully upon the lives and the marriages here today. And I pray and ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, you may remember uh, this couple that you're about to see on this screen, a little short video clip, uh, Caleb and Catherine from the movie Fireproof. How many of y'all saw that movie when it came out several years ago? Uh, Great movie. Well, in this clip, after only seven years of marriage, they're already having some serious marriage issues and they are venting to their friends about what they think is going on, which will begin to illustrate what we're going to talk about today. Honey, I agree with you. You got to get out. He don't deserve you. You can say that again. A real man's got to be a hero to his wife before he can be to anybody else. Or he ain't a real man. Catherine, do you need a place to stay? I can't imagine living in the same house with that man. No, I decided last night that I'm not the one that's leaving. He's the problem, not me. That's right, girl. Stand your ground. Make him respect you. If there's one thing a man understands... It's respect. That's the issue. That's the reason our marriage is failing. She shows me no respect at all. And the saddest part about it is... He doesn't have a clue. He thinks our marriage has been fine for the most part. Mm. You know, he probably thinks... Our marriage has been fine until this year. Now, all of a sudden, she goes off the deep end. Do you really think this happened all of a sudden? I don't know what to think. I don't understand her. She's emotional about everything. She's easily offended and way too sensitive. I mean, he's so insensitive. He doesn't truly care how I feel. He doesn't listen to me. Even if I say it over and over and over again. And then she starts nagging me and and saying I don't listen to her or, or something like that. It drives me crazy. I feel like I'm going insane. You know, he doesn't understand my needs. I feel like we are completely and totally incompatible. She's probably whining to her friends, making me sound like a criminal. I can see him all right now, crying, having some sort of group hug. It's going to be okay, sweetie. It's going to be all right. You'll get through this. So you think it's past the point of no return? I don't have a reason to return. Well, I I want you to consider carefully what you just saw. I know it's funny and, you know, we can all relate. But besides the obvious differences between men and women, which are clearly illustrated, there's something extremely crucial here to understand that will make all the difference in the world when you're trying to deal with your marital problems or problems in any relationship, for that matter. They are not just trying to get the sympathy of their friends or trying to build their case. They are, of course. And they are not just blaming each other for all the problems that are going on in their relationship. They're doing that too. What you've got to understand is that they both actually believe 
that their perception of reality is the true one and not just their perception. We're all like that. But, and we're going to talk about that in depth the first Wednesday night when we, when we talk about a topic called He Said, She Said and talking about the differences in perception and how it causes problems in our relationships, and our marriages. But back to the focus for today. Both Caleb and Catherine believe that the other person is the problem, or at least most of the problem. Caleb's view of the problem, he says it right off the bat. She shows me no respect at all. That's the issue. That's the reason our marriage is failing. And then he goes on. Now all of a sudden she goes off the deep end. It wasn't all of a sudden. Things don't happen all of a sudden. And marriage doesn't deteriorate all of a sudden. Where was he? And then he says she's emotional about everything. She's easily offended and way too sensitive. Duh. She's a woman. That's how women are made. He's seven years married. He, do, he doesn't have a clue. He doesn't, know, he doesn't know he's married to a different sort of a creature. Made also in the image of God. That bears the image of God in a unique way that's emotional and relational. He doesn't know how to deal with her. And then he says, she nags me. And accuses me of not listening to her. Well first, a lot of people complain that their spouses treat them like a child or nag them all the time. Well, maybe if you would do what you're supposed to do, they wouldn't treat you that way. Maybe if you'd act like an adult, they wouldn't treat you like a child. You ever thought of that one? She accuses me of not listening to her. He doesn't listen to her. He doesn't know how to listen to her. We're going to talk about that Wednesday, this first Wednesday, a lot and the problems associated with that. There's reasons why. And then Catherine's view of the problem, he's the problem, not me. Well, of course he is. Every woman knows that men are the problem. (laughs) Then she says, he doesn't have a clue. He thinks our marriage has been fine for the most part. Well, he said that. You know, back several years ago, when Michelle and I were going through a rough patch in our marriage, we've been married 28 years, and we've I can honestly say that we've gotten to probably the best place that we've ever been to in 28 years. But it has not been without a lot of work and a lot of struggle and a lot of forgiveness and a lot of personal growth in God's working in our lives individually and as a couple. But back during this really difficult time, God led me to this book. It was called uh, Discovering the Mind of a Woman, which was written by a guy named Ken Nair from Arizona, who's personally discipled many, many men in what it means to love your wife as Christ loved the church. And I'm going to tell you, it was one of the hardest books that I ever had to read. I wanted to throw it against the wall every other page. Because the bottom line of that book, which was written to men about how to treat their wives, is if you're not acting Christ-like, you're wrong, period. Doesn't matter what she's doing or not doing. If you're not acting Christ-like, you're wrong. That's the bottom line of that book, Discovering the Mind of a Woman. Okay? He also wrote a book to the women, however. It had a little bit of a different message. And it was to the woman on how to understand the heart of a man. 
And my wife read that book. I didn't read it. I figured it was written to her. I'm not going to read it. It was hard enough to read the book that I read. But she explained it to me and basically read this one line in the book which basically summarized the whole book in one statement because he said that. He said, if you, want, if you don't get anything else out of this book, I want you to understand the one key thing that you need to understand about your husband. He really doesn't get it. No, really. You just think he doesn't get it. He doesn't think you don't, he doesn't understand or he's, he's trying to manipulate. No, he really doesn't get it. He doesn't have a clue. Caleb didn't have a clue. When I was seven years married, I didn't have a clue. I've been 28 years married, which is four times as long. And I'm just getting a clue about a lot of things. And then she says he's so insensitive. He doesn't truly care how, how I feel. He doesn't listen to me. He doesn't understand my needs. Well, of course he doesn't. He's a man. He doesn't understand. He doesn't understand what she needs. He doesn't understand how to listen to her. You know, when polled and list and this national female author and writer did a poll of women and asked them the question, what makes you feel most loved? Out of 20 responses, you know what the one most common response was? The number one thing that makes women feel loved out of anything else is being listened to. Being really listened to. Feeling like her husband is really listening to her and affirming her feelings. Interestingly, that's the one thing that men seem to have the biggest problem with. We're going to talk about that this Wednesday night. You've got to be there. So, after all of this, Caleb thinks Catherine's the problem. Catherine thinks Caleb's the problem. They're both blaming each other to their friends. And their ultimate diagnosis or conclusion is, we're incompatible. What I've come to understand after being married for 28 years, counseling thousands of people, 28,000 hours worth of counseling, and doing probably about 500 hours of my own personal counseling, is that incompatibility is the norm in marriage. A very wise man, G.K. Chesterton, once wrote, if people can be divorced for incompatibility, I cannot conceive why all of us are not divorced. I have known many happy marriages, but never a compatible one. The truth is, just like Caleb and Catherine, if we're all really honest, to some degree, we think they are the problem. Don't we? Or at least most of it. In a charitable mood, we may think, well, everyone has their opinion, or there are two sides to every story. But most of us really don't buy that, do we? Deep down, we really believe, put simply, the problem is them. They're selfish. They're naive. They're controlling. They're irrational. They're unloving. They're disrespectful. Can you relate? How many of you in here are 30-something? Raise your hand. How many of you wish you were still 30-something? How many of y'all remember the nighttime drama series that started in 1987 that aired for seven years called 30-something? Raise your hand. Remember that? I used to love watching that. I was actually 27 years old 
1987. That was 25 years ago, which makes me 52 today. And when I was doing a marriage seminar a few years ago, I remembered this one episode, which turns out to be episode number 11 of season one of 30-something, where Nancy and Elliot, one of the major couples in the, in the story, in the, in the series, went into counseling to see a marriage counselor four times. I just remembered them going in to see the marriage counselor. But then I had one of my assistants track down the, uh, uh, the season one, which you can get on, on, on DVD now, and I actually went and watched it, and the name of that episode is called Therapy. And in this series we're doing, starting today, you're going to see two clips today, and then there's six other clips, which we're going to see in the following Wednesdays, along with some other clips of another couple, where we're going to begin to pick apart what we can do to help our marriages to solve five major problems that I see in marriage. I'm going to take one of them today. But what I want to do to start off with is show you when they first go to counseling, and I want you to just kind of observe what happens. Elliot. Elliot. Six, five, Get off the three. phone, Elliot. Great. Thanks a lot, man. I appreciate You're it. not bury these in the drawers in the bathroom. How's Gary? For you? Yeah, he uh, has a buddy, Bob Nicholson, who's a marriage counselor. That's terrific. Oh, Michael. Why don't you just try a billboard on Broad Street? Elliot and Nancy, marriage on the rocks, watch this space. Who only told Melissa? Who only told Gary? Are you mad? No. Anyway, it's a therapist. That's what you wanted, right? That's what Nancy wanted. What do you want? Or side season tickets for the Sixers? Hi, I'm Robert Nicholson. Hi, uh, Elliot Weston. Hi. Hi, Nancy. Hi. Hi. Come in. Come in. Younger than I thought you'd be. Gary Shepard and I were in grade school together, actually. I used to beat him up at recess. <laughs> well, uh... How can I help you? Well, I, we've, we've never done anything like this before. Um, maybe you should just tell us what we're supposed to do. Why don't you tell me a little bit about yourselves? Okay. Well, we have two kids. Um... Ethan is six, and Brittany's three, and we've been married, um, oh, God, 12 years. 12 years. <laughs> it was a one-night stand that got out of control. <laughs> um, Elliot works for his own advertising company that he started, and I don't, I don't work. I stay at home with the kids. That's work. Well, yeah, but, I mean, you, you know what I mean. You know, pretty good, really. I mean, uh, Nancy's unbelievable with the kids. She's... She's got so much patience with them, you know, and, and so much love for the it, kids. Is this and I, what we're supposed to be talking about? Better? Uh, I mean, what, what's supposed to be better? I mean, you're the one who thinks things are bad, so... No, no, I, I don't think things are bad. You're yeah, right. This is her idea of fun. After this, we're going to go see Cries and Whispers. <laughs> he thinks that I don't take care of his needs. 
Is that true? If she says it, it must be true. Oh, stop it. Stop Come what? On. Stop what? You seem to have all the answers. Elliot, I am trying to save our marriage. I am trying to understand why it is that you are so miserable every day. Day in and day out, you're, 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 you're insulting and you're complaining and you're angry. And I, I do, I think that I have the right to understand what it is you feel. I don't know why you don't you, you, talk no, 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 about this. No, 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 you don't know what I'm thinking. You don't know what I want. You want to know why we're here? This is right, we're here, right here, right there. What? Because you don't want to know what I'm thinking. You don't that care what... No, no, true. you don't even want me to think. That's oh. what it is. You, no, you know what? You won't be happy until everything is just the way Nancy no. wants it. That's it. No, that's until it's just Nancy, it. everything's just the way you want it. That's it. That is it. You know it. Future, I mean, I don't know what, 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 uh, what is there to th think about the future? I mean, we could have a nuclear war or, or we can just go on. No, I'm... we can't just go on. Do you want to set up a regular time to talk about some of these things? You think there's hope for us? What about in between? I mean, we go home and we, we don't talk about things like this. So, I mean, what's going to happen? Oh, I, don't, I, I don't really know what I'm talking about. I think what you're talking about is you're angry, and that's scary. But I think you'll find that it's not as destructive as you're afraid it's going to be for either of you. Yeah, but what's scary is wonder if we discover that that's all there is, is anger. I don't think there's just anger, or you two wouldn't be here. I have a couple of questions for you. Are you or your spouse angry? Ever been? If you haven't, if you're not, you will be one day. Trust me. A storm has come, it's here now, or one's coming. Another question is what do you do or what do, you, what do they do when you get angry? And then how does it affect you or them and the people around you? I want to tell you something the Bible says about anger. It's in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 25 and 26. It says, Be angry and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and do not give the devil an opportunity. There's actually four commands about anger. One do, three don'ts. While it's okay to be angry, about the right things for the right reasons, it's never okay in God's eyes to sin in your anger. What does sinful anger look like? Anger, in my opinion, is sinful when it is expressed for no good reason. In other words, when it's not warranted or justified. There are some things that are you should be angry about. I mean, God gets angry. Jesus got angry. If, if we're like God or Jesus, we should get angry at some things. When there's sin and injustice, you should be angry about it. Nothing wrong with being angry about it. 
First command is a do. Be angry. Nothing wrong with being angry. I grew up in a home where it wasn't okay to be angry. It's okay to be angry at the right things for the right reasons. But there is no justification for your unhealthy or sinful behavior. There's no excuse for sinful expressions of anger. Anger is sinful when it's for no good reason. It's also sinful when it's in the extremes. The extremes are to me the skunk who sprays everybody when they get angry, yells, screams, and all hell breaks loose, literally, all over everybody. Or the turtle, when you stuff it, when you internalize, when you clam up. The skunk blows up, the turtle clams up. But both are angry. One's venting off everybody else, the other one is holding it in. Both is sinful. And then also, when you are expressing your anger, when you have no commitment to resolution, in other words, when you're just venting it or gossiping, but there's no real commitment to resolution, it's sinful. And there's no excuse for it. And, and that's one of the three things that I want you to understand about anger. There's no excuse for sinful expressions of anger. You can't justify how you act based upon how they act, or rather how you react. You're responsible for your own feelings, for your own reactions. Second thing I want you to understand about anger is what I've come to understand as a Christian counselor after working with people for many, many years, is that if true repentance doesn't get rid of the problem, doesn't get rid of your anger problem, then probably you're not properly connected to God in the way you should be, or there's some inner healing that's needed. you got something wrong on the inside that needs to be healed. Some old wound, some lies you believe in, or something wrong. Second thing. Third thing is, is understanding why you get angry or why they get angry is very important and can help solve the problem a lot of times. My question is, do you know why you get angry? Do you know why they get angry? What triggers it? What circumstances trigger it? What gets triggered on the inside of you? What's really going on in your heart? You know, there's a lot of causes of anger. I've got a course that I teach called When Others Hurt You. First four lessons are all about anger. The next two on forgiveness, and then the last two on returning an insult with a blessing. But in one of these lessons, I talk about different causes of anger. You know, fatigue, hunger can be a cause of anger. Uh, chemicals not being right in your brain. Hormones. Um, uh, simple things like alcohol and drug. Reactions to alcohol and drugs can be causes of anger. Physical pain can cause anger. Unmet needs, unfulfilled expectations, growing up in an angry environment, learning the pattern of anger. So a lot of people just get angry because that's what they learn. That's the way they, they communicate. That's the way they deal with things. Hanging around with an angry person can make you angry. Old wounds can make you angry. But a lot of times, what i found is that anger can be a, like a defense mechanism or a cover for some feelings that are at a deeper level. That a lot of times, it's really not the anger that's the problem. It's the hurt or the pain or the fear or the shame underneath. 
A lot of times people just focus on what's going on on the outside, but they don't really think about what's going on on the inside that's causing it. So what I would tell you is that anger can be a sin if it's expressed in a sinful way, and it can also be an issue that needs to be resolved. So, we'll talk more about this later. Let's get back to Elliot and Nancy and watch now as they go into their second counseling session as we start to develop this a little bit further. Okay, okay, I, I, I feel like she's on me all the time, like I can't do anything right. I come home the other night, and, um, and I want to help her out with what's going on at home. You see I'm getting it for you? Ethan, I heard you. I am getting it for you. Hey, bunny rabbit. Ooh. Hi, partner. Yeah, hi. Hey, how are hey, you? Could you make him a peanut butter and jelly sandwich before I kill him? Please? Sure. Kid, it's a big exciting world out there. A world of hot dogs, hamburgers, scrambled eggs, fried chicken, and one day maybe you'll get tired of PB&J and you'll move out into that world. I hate that. It's Don't you know by now that he only likes grape jelly? I forgot. Look, I'll do it. No, I, got it. no, no I can. I can do it. It's no big deal. I don't no, mind. I really, I got it. I got it. Just go ahead. Sit down. I wasn't yelling. Oh, you took sweet. the bread right out of my hands. Let's take the whole issue of money. It's like she's on a war path. Elliot, what's this? Oh, I joined Michael's Health Club so I can get in shape. Elliot, this cost three hundred and eighty-five dollars a year. It was a special deal. We can't afford this. Nancy, Nancy, you've been bugging me to start exercising since I had those tasks, so I finally got around to it. Writing out a check for $385 isn't exactly what I call exercise. Now, why didn't you discuss this with me? What, do I need your permission to lift weights? You know that we are on a tight budget. I make good money. Right, and it all goes out every month just for essentials. Elliot. Okay, Nancy, you're right. I'm sorry. I should have discussed it with you first, but it slipped my mind, okay? So, can you cancel the membership? No! Why? Why should I cancel the membership when I still need the exercise? This is insane. I just think in these days, you don't quit a job when you're making really good money to start your own company, which might ruin us. I mean, Michael and Elliot had no experience doing this before. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. We had one, two awards, two awards, and we had three separate accounts that were promised us. I they, mean, that's a great start. They were local awards. Oh, excuse me. They forgot my Clio this year. I mean, what have you won lately? No, I, I'm just saying that it's a risky thing to do. Uh, you, you know, you didn't own. have any faith in me. That's no, what it was. No, no. I, I and was you worried did, about the You did not have any faith no, in me. No, faith has nothing to do about it. What I do you mean, mean faith has nothing to do with it? That's the whole idea of what we're doing here, Nancy. Wait, am I crazy? I mean, am I crazy? I mean, I'm doing something that I've dreamed about for a long time, see, and she doesn't trust I, me I at all. I have had the same car for seven years. Because and you enjoy being no, cheap, no, Nancy. That's not Don't what lay it that is. on anything else. You have else. to have everything you want when you want it. That's true. You know, what's interesting is that for every accusation, there's a counter-accusation, and each one seems plausible in its own way. I guess it could go on that way forever. What's, what's that mean? It could go on that way forever, and... Neither of you would be any closer to getting what you want from each other. <laughs> you know, the, the counselor's last two statements 
or a pretty good synopsis of the two most typical problems that I see in marriage. The first one is that we specialize in taking our spouse's inventory rather than our own. Number two is that people often feel like they're not getting their needs met. The second one is one of the major problems that people get divorced. We're going to deal with that one on the second Wednesday night when we talk about his needs, her needs. But today we're going to talk about problem number one. The counselor said that for every accusation, there's a counter-accusation. The word accuse means to charge with offenses to blame. Like Caleb and Catherine, Elliot blames Nancy and Nancy blames Elliot. You heard all the use statements, the attacks in the first one especially? That's usually a good indicator of blame. Elliot's pointing the finger at Nancy. She's controlling. He says, you won't be happy until everything is just the way Nancy wants it. She's contentious and argumentative. He says she's always on a warpath. She's negative. He says to the counselor, in the counselor's presence, you're the one who thinks things are bad. She's unsupportive. He says in the, in the session, you didn't have faith in me. He says to the counselor, she doesn't trust me. Then he would say that she's disrespectful, stressed, and aggravated all the time, and that she doesn't meet his needs. And we all know what that means. Elliot's pointing the finger at Nancy. Nancy's pointing the finger at Elliot. He's angry, harsh, has a bad attitude. She says in the session, you're miserable every day, insulting, complaining, and angry. He's self-centered. When he's trying to make the sandwich, she says to him, you don't know by now that he likes grape jelly? In other words, he's so self-centered and self-absorbed, he, can't, he doesn't pay attention to what his kid likes and doesn't like. He's selfish and irresponsible. He writes the $385 check, which would be three times as much in today's dollars, without consulting her. We're going to talk about that in one of the later sessions. And then, in general, he's probably unloving. She would say that he's unloving. Nancy's pointing the finger at Elliot. Elliot's pointing the finger at Nancy. Today, as I said, we're going to cover a problem. Each session, we're going to cover one problem that I typically see in marriage, and I'm going to give you the solution. Today's problem, problem number one on your outline, is focusing more on their shortcomings than on your own and blaming them for your bad attitudes and behaviors. I understand you can follow this on your iPhone if you have the right app. That's what they tell me anyway. And they, we have handouts in the, in the foyer later. And you can also go to the website and this will be downloaded and the notes will be on there. And also, they're going to make a little series packet of, D, of CDs that you can get and order. Um, and you can check that out at the resource table. But problem number one today is and you shouldn't have to write this down to remember it because we all do it. <laughs> Focusing more on their shortcomings than on our own and blaming them for your bad attitudes or behaviors. This applies not just to marriage, but to every relationship. Relationships with your kids, your in-laws, your friends, your co-workers, anybody. And I'm going to give you the solution, but first I want to talk about the problem a little more. 
First of all, why is this a problem? Why do we do this? And then how can we stop doing this? And then I'm going to tell you the solution when I talk about how to stop doing this. First of all, why is blame a problem? Why is pointing the finger and taking someone else's inventory such a problem? Well, first of all, as can clearly be seen in these clips with Caleb and Catherine and with Nancy and Elliot, how many of y'all would like my job sitting there watching a couple go at it like that? Seen that so many times. Is that when you do this, when you blame and point the finger, nothing gets resolved. Does it? It, it, you know, it's like you're attacking the person, not the problem. The other person gets on the defensive and they shut down. It shuts down, it shuts down all productive conflict resolution. It, it shuts down communication. Number two, it focuses the attention on someone or something that is external, something that we cannot change. Thus, we end up feeling powerless, helpless, and frustrated. When you blame others and point the finger at others, you're focusing on them as the problem rather than the way you're responding to them as the problem. And if you do that, you're focusing on something that you cannot change. And you will inevitably be frustrated, powerless, and feel helpless. You want to feel that way? I don't. The third thing about why blame is a problem or pointing the finger is a problem is that it prevents self-examination, which leads to learning and growth and keeps us from living a life of victory and walking in the power that God intended. That's why blame is a problem. You ever heard the expression, nothing is new under the sun? It comes from Ecclesiastes written by King Solomon. Season number one of 30-something, as I said, aired in 1987, 25 years ago. Amazing when I watch these clips and as you see them, how true everything is still and how relevant it is to today. The reality is it's been true since the very beginning when God first created man and woman in His own image. After He put them in the garden and ate their forbidden, the forbidden fruit, you all know the story. Let's pick up the story in Genesis and see what happens. Genesis chapter 3, verse 9 through 13. And and see what we can learn about blame. The blame game. Then the Lord God called to Adam and said, Where are you? Now let me just pause for a minute. You think that there's any conceivable way that God did not know where Adam was? Of course he knew where he was. Well, why did he ask him, where are you? God knew where he was, but Adam didn't know where he was. He thought he knew where he was, but he didn't. God would ask you the same question today. Where are you? Where are you? So he said, I heard your... Then Adam replied, I heard your voice in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And God says, really? Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which I commanded that you should not eat? Let me ask you another question. Did God not know that He had eaten of the tree? 
Why did he ask him then, did you eat of the tree? And who told you you were naked? He was giving him an opportunity to confess what he did wrong. He was giving him an opportunity to confess what was wrong in his soul. That's the kind of God that we have. He just asked him, where are you and what have you done? Then the man said, the good, upstanding, godly Christian man said, it's that woman you gave me, Lord. And the man said, the woman whom you gave me to be with because you thought I needed help, She gave me the apple and I ate. Never mind the fact that he was right there with her while she was being tempted by the snake and did nothing. The scripture says that she gave, after she ate the apple, she gave it to her husband, Adam, who was with her. I looked up the word with her. It actually means with her. Not over there by the lake playing with the animals and the ducks, but he was standing right there beside her watching this conversation between his wife and the devil, watching the devil get ready to wreck his wife's life and his life. He knew what God said, and his wife gives him the apple. Not only does he not beat up the snake, not only does he tell his wife, don't listen to the snake, not only does he not pray with his wife, not only does he do nothing, he just stands there and eats the apple And now, having been called out by God because he is the spiritual leader, he doesn't take responsibility, he blames his wife. Says, that woman you gave me, Lord. I'm going to write a book called, It's That Woman You Gave Me, Lord. It's going to be that woman. It's going to be the explain one verse of scripture, which I'm going to explain later in the series. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7 is a book on one verse of Scripture. It's that woman you gave me, Lord. And then God goes to the woman and He says, What is this you have done? And the woman said, in the immortal words of Flip Wilson, The devil made me do it. The serpent deceived me and I ate. Adam blames Eve. Eve blames the devil. We all do this. My question is, I said why blame is a problem. Why do we blame one another? Why do we point the finger? Why do we have this tendency not to assume responsibility for things and to point the finger at everybody else? Three reasons. One is ignorance. Caleb and Catherine married seven years with no children, and Nancy and Elliot, 12 years married with two children, haven't yet learned why they are having problems and what is really needed to solve them. Hopefully today and throughout this series, I can teach you some things that can spare you some unnecessary suffering and speed up your growth process. Maybe you can get there faster than we did. Maybe you don't have to go through what we went through. First reason is ignorance. Second reason is to avoid responsibility. We all do this to some degree. It's true of these two couples that you saw. It was true of Adam and Eve. And it's true of all of us to some degree, at some time or another. Third reason why we blame and point the finger 
is something that I think we don't understand, that this passage brings to light, and that is shame. One of the reasons that we blame other people is shame. First of all, what is shame? Shame is that feeling that comes from having done something wrong, improper, immodest, usually accompanied by a sense of disgrace, dishonor, regret, and unworthiness. That's what shame is. How is it that shame causes us to blame? Notice in this passage of Scripture, I think it's very interesting that after they ate the forbidden fruit, they went from being naked and unashamed back in Genesis 2, 25, a few verses up above this, it says that the man and his wife were both naked and unashamed. So they went from naked and unashamed to now, in this passage, to being very ashamed, afraid, and hiding from God. Hiding themselves. Hiding from one another. Hiding parts of themselves that had previously been open and exposed, laid bare, nude. Isn't it interesting that not only they hid themselves, but when confronted about what they did wrong, they blamed one another and the devil. What I've come to believe is that when we feel ashamed, when we've done something wrong, or there's something that is wrong in us, in our soul, in our spirit, we will blame either ourselves too much or others. Not just in marriage, but in all relationships. What I've come to understand is that whatever you don't deal with on the inside, whatever you don't tell the truth about or take responsibility for, you will project onto others in some way, shape, or form somewhere down the line. You will tend to see in others what is, at, what is actually wrong with you. Or at the very least, you will see a distorted version of reality around you. If you don't deal with internal conflicts, you will end up, you will deal with and, and even unconsciously create them externally in your relationships. Let me give you a quick example of this. I have a client, a woman client, I've seen her husband too, both very intelligent, professional people, well-educated, were dealing with some problems and came in and one of her complaints was that her husband dismisses her feelings. And he does it repeatedly. He's got some arrogance, some little pride. And even though he's a godly Christian man, when she tries to share with him how she feels, she feels dismissed. Like he's minimizing or not validating or affirming her feelings. So we began to talk about this and talk about some of the things that they were dealing with. And in the course of our therapy together, discovered that she came from a very dysfunctional family, that she had never really thought to be dysfunctional. Part of the reason is the way that her family was is that they, they were a lot about pretense, putting on a good front. Meanwhile, they were very dysfunctional on the inside. Her grandfather abused her grandmother. Her father and mother uh, divorced. Uh, her mother and grandmother denied and minimized the problems, pretended that there was nothing really going on. Nobody talked about the elephant in the room. And she grew up with that. And she learned to be a, a, good, a good child. She learned to be a people pleaser and a placator. And then she marries this guy who seems sensitive until they get married. 
Seems loving until they get married. We all do. And then as time goes on, he begins to point the finger and say, you're messed up. You got a problem. He does what these people did. And he begins to say, you got low self-esteem. You got issues. You got a dysfunctional family. He had issues with her family. Started pointing them out. And she would share her feelings. And, and, and invariably, she would feel like he was dismissing her feelings. Well, she, she began to finally realize that she was that he was doing the same thing to her in effect that her family did to her. That she was recreating her childhood in this marriage. That the same frustrations she had as a child were reoccurring in her marriage, which happens a lot. As a counselor, I know this, I deal with it all the time. And that was good. She began to realize that, and it was like an aha, and it made her feel better. But you know what? That wasn't a real problem. The real problem, which she began to get to later, was that it wasn't that he was dismissing her feelings or that her family was dismissing her feelings. It was that she herself was dismissing her own feelings. She was minimizing and denying her own feelings about what was going on in her life. So much so that she couldn't tell what her husband's problem was and what her problem was. Or what her family's problem was and what her problem was. She was doing to herself the same thing that she was accusing her husband of doing to her, which her family had done to her growing up. And you know when it began to break apart was when she began to acknowledge her feelings and own her feelings and embrace her feelings and to tell the truth about what was really going on in the inside and to get some healing on the inside from God and through counseling, that she began to get stronger. And it wasn't that her husband stopped minimizing her feelings, but you know what? Once she started to deal with what was on the inside, once she started to deal with what was wrong on the inside, her inner shame, her self-worth changed. And so that when he would minimize her feelings, she wouldn't react to him the same way. And she began to deal differently with her grandmother and her family as a result of that. They didn't change. What changed was her. You can't change them, but you can change the way you respond to them if you get a little healing and you begin to change your mindset and your actions a little bit. You know, the great thing about God is God knew where they were. He knew what they had done, but he goes and pursues them and asks them, where are you? What have you done? So that he can forgive them. So that their relationship will be restored. Man sinned against God. We rebelled against God. We sought to do our own thing. We operate independently of God. And in the same, we do the same thing that Adam and Eve did. We then hide. There's something terribly wrong inside of us. What's wrong is that we're disconnected from God. And for a lot of us, there's a lot of other things wrong because of wrongs that have been done to us. And God comes and says, where are you? What have you done? What's wrong? He wants you to tell Him so that He can forgive you of what you've done wrong, but also so that He can heal what is wrong. You will find me when you seek me with your whole heart. doesn't just mean seek me in sincerity with earnesty, 
but it means seek me with your whole heart. Like open yourself up. Be transparent. Come to me with all your ugliness. I already know where you are. I already know what you've done. I know what is wrong. Come to me. Ask, seek, knock. I stand at the door. Open it. I want to heal you. Jesus came to to heal the brokenhearted, to set the captives free, to give sight to the blind. He wants to heal you. Sometimes it takes a counselor. I tell you, I've done at least 500 hours worth of counseling. I've paid for it. Rick Warren, the famous pastor of... um, who wrote the book uh, Purpose Driven Life, one of his talks he does, he pulls out a credit card, his American Express card, and he said, the best thing I ever did was charge 100, go see a counselor with my wife when we were struggling. And yet we didn't have the money, but I charged $100 a session for 10 sessions. It changed my life. I'm not telling you to go get in debt for counseling. That's why we raise money so we can offer discounts and whatnot. The point I'm making is i got people in this church that you can go see. If there's something wrong in you, something has been done wrong to you, and you don't deal with it, you will consciously suppress it, repress, unconsciously repress it, and then project it onto other people, and you will deal with it out there, and that's part of the reason why we blame and we project and focus on other people rather than ourselves. Because we're trying to deal with the conflict out here rather than in here. To the degree that you deal with it in here, you won't have to deal with so much of it out here. It may still go on around you, but it won't affect you nearly as much. So, the problem is that we focus on them as the problem and blame them for our attitudes and bad behavior. The solution is to focus on self-improvement more than spouse improvement and to move from blame to contribution, to examining our part in the matter. Because there's your part and their part. You know, with my client, you know, her husband had issues, she has issues. Caleb has issues, Catherine has issues. Nancy has issues, Elliot has issues. You know, Blame is saying they're the problem. When you move from blame to responsibility, it means you focus on how you respond to the problem. And the truth of it is, you got problems in and of yourself. So many, I believe, that you could spend the rest of your life working on your problems and never worry about them. So let's look at the solution. The solution is to focus on self-improvement more than spouse improvement and move from blame to contribution. And real quick, and we're going to close in five minutes, we'll look at what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, verse 1 through 5. He says, Do not judge, or you will be judged. Now, what you've got to understand is the word judge is sometimes also translated into the word condemn. Judge, to judge means to condemn. Condemn means to declare it to be wrong. In essence, when you judge or condemn someone, You're shaming and blaming them. You're saying they're wrong. So what it says, Jesus is saying, don't do that. Do not judge or you too will be judged. And then if we all thought about this and really believed this, we would change. He says, in the same way that you judge others, 
your spouse, your children, your in-laws, your co-worker, in the same way you judge everybody else and condemn everybody else and blame everybody else, you're going to be judged, condemned, and blamed. Do you want that? He says, and with the same measure you use, it will be measured to you. In other words, what goes around comes around, baby. Whatever you put out there is going to come back. It's either going to come back now, later, or one day, someday, or in heaven. But it's going to come back. God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man soweth, that will he also reap. And then he goes on to say, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye, in your spouse's eye, in their eye, And pay no attention to the plank in your own eye. How can you say to your brother, your spouse, them, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the while there's a plank hanging out of your own eye? You hypocrite. You poser. You pretender. You person who's being a false self. You hiding behind this persona that's not real. You actor. First take the plank out of your own eye, then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. That last verse of Scripture I've devoted a whole study to. I actually taught it in this church, removing planks and specks. There's three things that Jesus says we need to do in that last verse. First take the plank out of your own eye. We all need to become experts at examining ourselves and looking at ourselves and our part in the matter before we go blame them and look at their part. Secondly, is we all need to learn how to confront other people. We're supposed to speak the truth in love. need to learn to take... It it doesn't say don't go remove the speck from your brother's eye. It says take the plank out of your own eye first before you remove the speck. See, my client, when he says, then you will be able to see clearly, you cannot see clearly to remove the speck from your spouse's eye if you don't remove the plank in your own eye, if you don't deal with your internal shame, you will blame. If you don't deal with your fear, your hurt, your woundedness, your weaknesses, your wickedness, areas in your life where you've sinned, the devil will have a heyday. You will be blind. You won't be able to see clearly. God wants us to confront people to speak the truth in love, but first you got to be healed. you got to see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. And the last thing is we need to all learn how to cr- receive correction and criticism. You ever had something in your eye? Sometimes you need someone else to look in your eye and remove it because you can't remove it yourself. Even if you're being blamed, you say, Dudley, well, I'm not the one blaming. I'm being blamed for everything. Look, my advice, a leg, A-L-E-G. I teach this in removing planks and speck. Except... First of all, that you need correction to learn to become all that God wants you to be. You can't see yourself the way you really are. Second thing is listen. Listen to what's being said. Look for the grain of truth. Don't look for what's not true. Look for what is true. The E stands for examine. Then take it to God. Go say, like, what is true about this, Lord? Take what is true. Take responsibility for it. Work on changing it. Whatever's not true, throw it out. I'm not saying you want to, you should take all the responsibility for what's going on in your marriage, but neither should you put all the responsibility on them. And then the last thing is grow. 
Pray like it depends on God and work like it depends on you to change what is wrong in you. If we don't deal with our own issues, we will not be able to see clearly when it comes to confronting others about their bad behaviors and attitudes. If we don't deal with our own shame and our own pain, we will blame. So, how can we stop blaming others? Real simple. Number one, wise up to the fact that blaming others accomplishes nothing and keeps you stuck feeling powerless and frustrated because it keeps you focused on something that you cannot change. Number two, come out of hiding. Bear your soul. Be open and honest. Totally transparent with God. Seek Him with your whole heart. And be honest with yourself about what is really going on inside of you. I would encourage you also to tell someone else. The Bible says confess your sins to one another and pray for one another. You may be healed. Be honest about your wounds, your weakness, and your wickedness. Or else warfare, the fourth W, will kill you. The devil will prance in and out of your life unabated. And then lastly, take responsibility for what you did wrong or for what is wrong in you, no matter how or why it happened. Stop the wrong that you're doing, and then seek healing for what is wrong. Amen? So, the practical challenge of this is, quit playing the blame game, and stop justifying your bad attitude and behavior. Stop focusing on them as a problem, and start focusing on the way you respond to them. You can either add fuel to the fire or help put the fire out. There's always a godly way to respond to ungodly behavior. And then stop trying to change them and start working on changing yourself. Clean up your side of the street. If they throw something on your side of the street, don't throw it back at them. Put it on the curb. Change your side of the equation and the relationship will change. If A plus B equals C, you're A and they're B, If A changes, C has got to change. B might might not change, but C will change. So, last challenge is, if you like what you saw today, and you felt like it was helpful, I want to encourage you very strongly to come the next four Wednesday nights. We're going to cover a different topic, deal with a different problem each night, Again, we're going to show like two or three or four clips each night, and I'm going to use it to make a point, to illustrate a problem that couples typically deal with, and to tell you the solution, just like we did today. But don't come by yourself. As Pastor Todd said, take these little things. Surely you know of a family or a friend, especially people that are not going to church anywhere. Don't invite them to church. Invite them to a marriage seminar. And and have them come with you. Don't come by yourself. Don't keep all this to yourself. I charge $150 an hour for counseling. Okay? If you come to these sessions and you do what I tell you to do, you'll probably save yourself one or $2,000 at least. So you can either do that or you can come and pay me. It's fine with me. No, I mean, no big deal. Whatever you feel comfortable with. Amen?